Hi, Amy. Hi, guys. Hi, Ames. Girl, that was some 80s look from you today. Loving it. <laughs> that was my little, I was laying on my sorority bedroom bed that with my pink highlighter in my uh, hand. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, where is it? I didn't see it. What, Facebook, Rachel, or Instagram? Yes, on the Facebook. Yep. It's, it's a reply. So she wrote, if I could be there with my 80s look, then we replied and then she replied to that. Got my, you know, parted oh, down the middle and the curls back. And <laughs> I had a lot of fun in college. A lot of fun in college. My uh, couple of sorority sisters and I one night went to our, what they called at the time, our rush closet. And we dressed up as the Go-Go's and went around to a couple fraternities and sang for them. So I, so I, I had my time. <laughs> Were there cocktails involved in that singing? Oh, no, hot chocolate, you know. <laughs> thank you, because my daughter is leaving for school on Sunday. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Table for Five with No Reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello, thank you for taking a seat at the table. Joining us tonight is Amy Schleter. She's going to be telling us all about her adult son, Alex. And this is our series of Visions of the Future, where we're going to be talking about parents that have adult children and autistic individuals as well. Seated at the table with me is Jen. Hi, everybody. Tabitha. Hello. Jamie. Hi. Rachel. Hey everyone. Amy. Hello. And I'm Kim McIsaac. So Amy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Amy Schleter and I am a mom of two kids. My daughter is 27. Her name is Hannah and my son Alex is 25 and he is our guy on the autism spectrum. And we found out that he had autism about four and I was a nurse at the time working on our lung transplant team. And once he was diagnosed, I decided to quit working and go home and help him get the services and to help Hannah live a quote unquote normal life if she could. I am married to my husband, Jim, and we reside in Northwest Iowa where I grew up and we live here and Alex lives in our lower level, kind of living his best life. That's me. Do you want to just give us a little background on Alex? Maybe a little bit about what led you to get a diagnosis? Sure. When Alex was two, he just wasn't starting to have any words. And so we just kind of watched him from two to three. And then at, at right about three at his well child checkup, I introduced the concept that he really wasn't speaking and filled out probably many of the same forms that you guys have filled out at your annual checkups about what mm -hmm. they do and don't do. And so he just wasn't having any really verbalization at that point. So we took him to a speech and hearing consult and um, his hearing was just fine. So he was diagnosed at that point with a major communication delay. And I remember saying um, when we were describing him to the speech therapist that, you know, some of the things that he did, the only thing I could compare it to was autism. And she's like, oh, he's not, he does not have autism. So on we went and he got put into early intervention for speech. And then during his three to four years, he just didn't progress much. And so right around in the fall, before he turned four, we had the autism evaluation. And as some of the older parents might um, relate to back then it was, we had like not as many diagnoses. So they didn't know whether to diagnose it with autism or something back then called pervasive developmental disorder. And they um, asked, they actually asked me what I wanted. And I was, I knew just enough back then to know that autism would get him services. So I said, go ahead and diagnose him with autism, which he has autism. But anyway, so that was our journey to diagnosis. Alyssa actually has that on her original diagnosis. She had that and autism. They just put it like all together. One will drop. <laughs> all of our kids for that, for the hearing test. That's such a common thing. I'm like, she can hear because she can hear Elmo from four miles away and come running <laughs> out of nowhere. This child can hear. I remember Isn't that. that the truth? Yeah. So Amy, one of my favorite things that you shared while I was early in my experience with Celie and sort of the, just the ins and outs of this world, you told me maybe at the meetup, I, I don't remember, but you told me that there was a point when, and forgive me for saying this like this, but there's like a supply and demand issue with services and availability. And you explained to me at one point that you guys had used Alex's anxiety diagnosis, like a mental health diagnosis, kind of separately to access different things because there was less of an issue getting services under that. And I just think like, it's so important to be able to pivot and think creatively like that. And I've used that 
reference so many times in our experience because you just get these fast no's, such a gem of insight. And that didn't come until we were in the adult pool and looking for services. And they went to his anxiety diagnosis and we got services right away. You know, basically we didn't have to wait very long, but yeah. And I think, you know, we've heard other parents refer to this too, but once, (laughs) I don't know if this is right or wrong, but once they have the diagnosis, go ahead and let them have all the issues and terrible things that they can. Cause every time you add something more to their list of things that are not good, the more that they might qualify for services. Mm -hmm. So in this instance, you know, in a weird way, we want to add all the negative things we can to our child's profile, because Mm -hmm. that seems like it squeaky wheel gets the most uh, grease. And so it opens up hopefully more doors, which we all hate to admit all of our kids' issues, but. Well, I remember a therapist telling me, Amy, she said, do not go in there and talk about her strengths. You need to go in there and you need to focus on what she can't do, which I was like, is the the opposite of what you're always hearing, but it was exactly that is they, you can't glorify what she can do because it'll take away from the services that she needs. So make it as humdrum, the world is ending as you can make it to try to get her the services. So I think that's pretty universal. That is, of course, unless there's a pandemic going, then you can just do it in the living room. (laughs) I can tell you that this this actually happened to me. So Alyssa had um, these services here in Massachusetts called PCA services. So it's paid for through Mass Health, which is the state insurance. And then you get hours and it's, it's spent for physical needs. So if like somebody needs help with dressing, with showering, with stuff like that. So years ago, it was like done more for like behaviors and stuff like that, but it's, they're very, very specific on what they will qualify you for. So they come in one time and they're like, how's she doing? And I'm like, oh, she's doing really good. And they're like, oh, what about this? And I'm like, oh, she's doing this. She's doing that. Cause I was like proud. Do you know what I mean? Like I was like proud of what she was doing and they cut her down from like 14 hours a week to six. And then you know, I had a work and it's like, oh no, you call them back. She's going to get, because re- they're like, oh, can she shower? And it's like, okay, so she can go in the shower and she can turn on the water herself, which is a great independent skill for her. But like, she can't really shower her. Like she can't clean herself properly, you know? But like, in my mind, I was like, yeah, she can, she can shower. And it feel like cross off, cross off, cross off, you know? And she almost lost all her services. You want to be all mom proud and well, yeah, your instinct. Yeah. Your exactly. instinct is to and always say had, yes. So don't do that people. <laughs> yeah. So Amy, he was diagnosed and then you went through, did he do the typical elementary and high school route? Yes, he did, you know, started with early childhood and then he was held back before starting kindergarten. So he has an October birthday, but he did not start kindergarten until he was six, going to be seven. So he wasn't five, going to be six, like he should have been. They kept him back for social and communication issues. So yes, it wasn't until, and I don't know if this is part of what you're asking, but it wasn't until like when he was in second grade, he was in the mainstream classroom with some pullout for a few things here and there. It was very minimal and was in second grade when I happened to be volunteering in the second grade classroom and they were doing spelling and the teacher was like, okay, get your spelling books out, turn them to page 54 and then write each word three times by the word that it has. Well, Alex got his spelling book out and that's where it stopped because uh, you you guys probably can relate. He couldn't follow the second and third command. He could do one thing at a time. And that's when I realized he was just sitting there. And, you know, nobody knew that he couldn't get there because it just wasn't obvious. He wasn't making any, he just had his book out. Anyway, it was just my light bulb moment that then finally somebody realized he didn't have his book open. So somebody has to go help him. Meanwhile, the other kids are doing that. It was a full circle moment in that I realized Alex wasn't learning. He was taking away valuable time from the kids who were trying to learn. And so that's when we decided to flip-flop and put him in a self-confessed room. And it was the best decision we made. It's not for everybody, but it was the best thing that we did for Alex because then he started to learn. Yes. And we had another mom on that said the same thing about her child that people just didn't notice things. 
that weren't happening for him or that he was sitting next mm-hmm. to a loudspeaker, all of these things. And we, we've often talked about the inclusion stuff. And for myself, I always struggled with it because when she was in public school, she'd have a meltdown in the classroom Then she's flipping desks and she's screaming. And it's this big toss of like where our children fit into this system with the school, right? Like where do our kids fit? And our kids are all at, you know, different stages and things, but it's always interesting to hear how it works for other people. Every set of parents has their vision for their child, whether they are neurotypical or special needs. And we have our vision for our child. And it was, and it's not right or otherwise, everybody just kind of does what they think is best for their child or what they think they know is best for their child or what sometimes it's also what they think they want for their child. But we knew that Alex at that point in time, his road to success wasn't on an academic path. It was on life skills. It was not going to, you know, and, and whether that was us cutting the cord too soon in his schooling, I don't know, but he sure did flourish after that. So whether we did him a service or disservice, we'll never know. But that's what we felt was best at the time. You did mention that one of the things that led you to a diagnosis was that he didn't speak, but he is verbal. So what, when did that change? So I would never say he was nonverbal, like in the sense of some of your kids, but he just, it was so slow. He had minimal words. And so I think he started speech and language and getting into school and getting some one-on-one with that. And it started to emerge. And once it did, he, he still, he still has a speech issue as far as he'll struggle for words sometimes, but I mean, he's, you guys have heard him talk and sing and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's, yeah, but um, it just started to emerge slowly, say five, six, seven is when he got better. And then by the time he was a teenager, I would say he was talking very well. I don't know if we skipped over this, but you have a daughter, Hannah. Who's older, Hannah or Alex? I always forget. Hannah by 18 months. So then you already kind of had a typical path. So you sort of knew like he's not doing this. Right. We had Hannah. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, as with many girls, you know, they seem to develop sooner with some of their social skills and stuff. So she was very verbal from early on, talked to Blue Streak when she was two. And so that was very verbal. verbal. She's one of my favorite people. (laughs) Yeah, she's amazing. She is. (laughs) She's still very verbal. She's still very verbal. So that's all we had to compare to. Yeah, so we did have that little bit of an example before him. Let's fast forward a bit. So how old was Alex when he aged out of school? We were living in Illinois at the time. And so they were, I always call them kind of wards of the state, but they were wards of the education um, system in the state of Illinois until their 22nd birthday. So Mm -hmm. he graduated at 18 or I guess he was 19 by the time he graduated from high school with his certificate. He doesn't have a high school diploma. And then from there, we were really, really lucky in that they had this program. It's an it's an acronym for something, but it's called STRIVE. And there they put in, that was life skills after high school, where they, they had like five different lanes. One being that they could go to community college. Lane five was where they needed total care, wheelchair, high, high needs. Um, and he was in the middle, but they, you know, got a little job. They had a little internships and he learned how to do laundry and learned how to use money and learned just social communication, conversation, reciprocity, that kind of stuff. So that's where he was for th- two years after high school, three years. Anyway, that was his academic path through the school system. And then did you guys see guardianship when he was graduated high school or maybe a little before? Yeah, when he was 18, we we um, got guardianship and that was very smooth. That was very easy. I know it seems like other parents go through, jump through more hoops to get it done, but it was very easy for us. We consulted with a lawyer, talked with him, and he kind of led us through all the steps. And probably it was very straightforward because they draw up the paperwork and we fill some things out. But the one thing that ends up happening to your 18 year old child is that a sheriff comes to the door and serves them with papers and they, he has to take them. And it was very stressful for Alex because he had no idea yeah. why there was a policeman at our door. We tried to coach him and talk him through that. And he did a great job, but he was scared. 
Um, he, he knew enough to be as scared of a policeman coming to the door, but, and the, the guy was, they hate doing it. He was very kind and he was very nice. And he, he was, did the great job with Alex, but it was, that was the most stressful part. There's an officer at your door and they want to talk to yeah. your son. So they're <laughs> essentially serving said. him with the papers. Is that, yes, is that what it is? That, yeah. You know, that somebody wants to be your guardian over you rather than yourself. He didn't even care about that part of it. It was just the fact that there was a policeman at his door talking to him. But, and then we just, once that was done, then we got a court date and we went into court and they asked him a few questions and he answered yes. And it was done there's not a whole lot to tell with our process. Now, whether that's different for other people, I don't know. I think Minnesota I mean, is the same. I was talking to Chris, uh, Chris Lindsay, a friend of mine and that you all know. And she, she was saying it's just been lickety split as each of her children have aged up and mm-hmm. out. And it just feels like everything is on this moment of the judge asking them questions at the meeting, you know, like at the actual point. Yeah. And like, you just hold I your got, breath. I got admonished by the judge in there because Alex always, I'm, you guys can all relate to this, but asking Alex these questions and Alex would look at me for the answers. And I would say, you can tell them X, Y, Z. And he, he, uh, he shut me down. He's like, I am talking to Alex and Alex will answer these questions. I'm like, Oh, sorry. I was so and embarrassed, also that's but it's cute. just, like, what do you want me to do here? This is why we're here. Right. I know it's so confusing, uh, like in the legal sense, because it's like they're giving you permission to be guardian over someone who needs help, but then also making sure that they can have enough capacity to say, yes, I want this guardianship. Doesn't make right. any logical sense whatsoever. No, it doesn't. Cause he has no idea what he's even consenting yeah. to. Right. Of course, I love my mom and dad. Of course I'll live with them. And of course they can do things for me and so yeah yeah but they can um I think if there's just a lot of varying factors too on how easy it goes like Alyssa didn't have to go to court she never even had to go so oh, we're wow. able to bypass that step with her she she didn't have to get served I think it depends on the level I think it depends on their psychological scores it also depends on if there's money involved you know if like you have somebody who has who has more assets that makes it more complicated and, and depending on what kind of medication for our state anyways like if they're on an antipsychotic there's like a whole nother process it's way more complicated and if you're higher functioning because like you said they ask you those questions and some folks at 18 might be like no hey I can make my own decisions but you know right. they might not so that's a Carrie so- Cariella was worried about that Jack would yell out no <laughs> My question was, did you have to start the process once he was 18 or was it something you had to like prepare for when he was like 17 or this is where I was ignorant and didn't understand because don't take this the wrong way, but we didn't need the financial assistance. We could have him on our insurance. And so it wasn't even anything I really cared about until our hand was forced because then taking him to the pediatrician or well, then the doctor, you know, all those things that we all know about, that's when our hand was kind of forced that we need to be guardians. But until he was probably close to 19, we just didn't even think of it that much as far as actually having to do that because we were thinking of the financial aspect of it. So yeah, it was, he was after he was 18 when we did it, it was after he turned 18 that I realized, oops, I just lost all my rights. So um, again, Kim might be able to empathize with this because you know now people are more aware of it but when we were coming up as they say it was <laughs> I felt like we were blazing our own trail for it us was, it was part it was part of her transition like thing in her IEP but like we didn't do it in time because we're us and um so they actually had Alyssa sign a paper because she can sign her name I mean it's not it's printed it's not she can't do cursive so she had to sign a paper saying giving us permission to like talk to for her make decisions and all this stuff so they had that paper on file which was like a legal placeholder until you get to guardianship so yeah we were just like I don't think we realized that it is a little lengthy but I don't know how I don't think you can start it too much before 18. No you can just you can probably go sit with the lawyer and know what's going to happen and that kind of thing but you can't file or do anything until they're yeah. actually 18. And it does vary. I've heard a lot of people say that they've had, had to hire lawyers and it's costing a lot of money. 
It didn't cost us anything. We didn't need a lawyer. Once we like did the whole, well, we took us two times because we kind of, we like messed up on the last step. So we had to like restart the whole process. We had a an agency here that kind of helps you a little bit, but no one's going to dispute that she needs guardianship. Like it's, you know, it's kind right. of just like Formality. you're going through the motions kind of in a way. Right. Yeah. I want to ask about Alex because he's quite the artist. And I was just wondering when that started. I would say he was two or three when he started drawing more than a two or three-year-old should as far as uh, detail or things like that. Now, I didn't, I don't think I ever really noticed it right away just because neither of us are artists. I mean, I didn't, I don't know the developmental pattern of a child and their artistic ability of what Mm -hmm. to draw. I mean, you know, the stick figures, that kind of thing. And it wasn't until like when he was two or maybe he was close to three, but he was drawing stick people. And I mean, now I know that a typical two-year-old might draw a stick person, but none of the sticks may join the center. I mean, they just have sticks and and a, yeah. and a head, you know, that that's what they do. Well, Alex is all joined up together and then he might put little three little forks out for a, a hand and then he had eyes and eyebrows and all those details that typical kids aren't going to have. They're going to feel really good about their sticks you know, just being there. So, and maybe a round head not attached to the stick, you know? So um, that's when we kind of realized that he could draw. And then his detail came sooner and faster than other kids' detail. And then one day when he was four, he was, as we can all relate, our kids get crabby and we don't know what's wrong with them because they can't tell us what's wrong. He was just so agitated and he was drawing. And I, again, I don't know a whole lot. So I was trying to figure out what he was trying to draw. Well, long story short, he was trying to draw a cube, a three-dimensional cube that, you know, I learned to draw when I was like in middle school or something. Yeah. (laughs) But he was trying to do a three-dimensional figure. And that's when we were talking to developmental people. I was like, well, that's, you know, kids don't do that until much, much later. And he was trying to do that. So then we realized he was seeing things differently mm-hmm. than typical kids as far as his perception and, pro- and uh, attention to detail and things like that. So that's one of my all time favorite, favorite, favorite Alex pieces. I believe it has feathers and each feather has the V's of the feather. Oh my God. I just love every detail. I have these snowflake cards too that I die for, but that bird is something. And how did it come about? Like, how did you guys foster that? Like in school, did he take outside art classes? You know, at first, no, we just let him draw and draw. And he drew Barney and Veggie Tales and all these SpongeBob and Nickelodeon uh, Blues Clues. And he would just keep drawing them over and over and over and over again. And so we just let him do that for a long time. It wasn't until he was in middle school that we went to the private lessons of uh, of a tutor teaching him more about art. So that was that's when, and so that's when his real artistry took off. Well, I think our kids have that in common. My daughter is quite the little artist. But you know what's Stunning. interesting, Amy, is is she started drawing when she was in before she could speak. And her speech language pathologist would often find her pictures. Actually, it's how she figured out kindergarten teachers were yelling at her because she drew a picture of herself and then adults screaming at her with the loud sounds coming out of that. And so her, her therapist said, this is, she's telling us something in her art. And so it, that's kind of where it started. But I find now, and I don't know if this is for Alex, I, she finds, I, I, I feel she finds it very therapeutic. And I find when she's very anxious, she'll, she'll want to sit down and paint. And I don't know if that, if yeah. Alex does that or it's just, his no, it's, thing. It's, I no, I wouldn't say that it's a therapeutic thing for him. It's just what he loves to do. It's just part of who he is, but your daughter's art is spectacular. It's beautiful. I love seeing it. Thank it's amazing. You. It's totally different. And what is, what is really striking as a difference between the two and that's when you say hers is more therapeutic versus Alex is that Alex doesn't have the imagination he's just now at 25 in his 20s getting more imaginative and creative in his own way of making something totally his own otherwise he wants to look at a picture and do it exactly that way and maybe add different colors but he's not going to be it's going to be that picture it's going to be uh, a, a koi fish that you've seen or that peacock feather and it's going to be exactly that whereas kaya's stuff is just 
brilliantly imaginative. I mean, she, it's very creative. And so I can see why that would be really therapeutic for her. Yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit about what he just did with his art? Because I think this is so inspirational. Yeah, and exciting. I love it. This was, I got a phone call from the people at um, just to step back here, where we live here in Northwest Iowa, you guys are all in cities. So our whole county here, the whole county has 17,000 people. So we don't live in a very uh, densely populated area, but we have this heaven sent resource. Hope Haven is where Alex gets his services. And so for being in nowheresville, we have this beautiful service that gives adult services for people anyway. So Alex goes to his dayhab services and it's called at a place called Hope Haven. And the Hope Haven staff knew that Alex could draw. Two of um, his main mentors there asked me if they could have Alex teach a class of art to kids at the library. And I was on the other side of the phone going, knock yourself out. You know, I'm like, <laughs> like I don't, I was like, I can't imagine him ever doing this. And I hate to even admit that because we all know our kids can do great stuff. But I was like, there's just no way. A bunch of kids who are talking and yakking and chaos and unpredictability and noise, all the things we know are triggers for our kids. I was like, sure, you guys go for it. Well, lo and behold, he did it. So they set up this art class at the local library and it was kids from, I'd say, early grade school to middle school that attended and his main mentor there, her name is Gina, she put it in a script. So every time he needed to give a new instruction, it was just written there. So there he's looking. Now I would like you to oh get God. your next paintbrush out and put it, the other one in the water. I mean, it was very scripted, but I don't care. You know, it was yeah. great. He did a great job, but he enjoyed it and he did it. It was all very handheld and led. So yeah, he quote unquote taught a little art class. He That's did. So it was amazing. One of my friends follows your page as well. And after that post, she texted my friend, Terry Lynn texted me and she said, oh, I just read the post on Alex the artist. Cause she said, oh, Kaya, maybe Kaya could do that. And then she said, but wow, his mom should be proud too. And I said, oh, Aww. I'm sure she was beaming on the other side. She follows all my friends yeah. now. She just finds, you know, just loves to learn about it. So she texted me after that post. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. Thank you. Always good to hear, but, uh, yeah, I think that's so inspiring. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, but then after the art class teaching, he's got a space with all of his features. Like he had a gallery showing outside oh. of the class. I mean, oh, that's a I loved big that. Deal yeah. Too. Yes. Yeah. I, I have to that. say, I almost drove down there. You know, we're proud of him, and it just—he's finally a little bit proud of himself. Yeah, you know, that's what he I never, love. He could have cared less. <laughs> he could have cared less for the longest time. This is what I do, and. Then he finally realized that what he was doing was kind of special. And then he's like, then now he wants to know if he's doing a good job. But for, for a long time, it was like, he could have cared less, you know, whether what anybody thought he was just doing what he does. Yep. And Amy has a website. We're going to, we'll link it afterwards, but um, you can go on and check out Alex's art and you can purchase from your website, correct? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's just incredible. And he recently also had his first job. Is that right too? He did um, as part of his adult services. They work real hard to find jobs that are suitable for their skill level and personality. And he ended up getting a job at a car dealership after hours. They did custodial work. He was the garbage collector and very rote oriented, logical, sequential. First do this, then do this. Mm -hmm. And so he, he did great at it. And he really, really loved it. All of our kids are all different, but Alex is not a social being. He does not need or desire social interaction with his peers very much but he likes to be around his peers mm -hmm. and so being in the work setting that was really good for him to you know all the things take direction work with others listen you know all those things but it was also good for him to be around his peers because some of the people that are in these programs they are socially typical but they have other developmental or psychological issues that get them into adult services so you know they're bantering about this and that and what they're going to do and I'm going to buy a motorcycle or whatever and that's just not Alex but it's really good for him to be around that mm -hmm. so he really likes it we pulled him out of it because um, it was very difficult for us to get him to work sometimes so he doesn't work anymore but he did like it and uh, he did a nice job they they liked him 
But the one thing that I will say for you guys, but for people who are, their kids are going to grow up and be able to do the same kinds of things. Alex gets social security income. He doesn't get disability because he's never worked to get qualified for disability. But anyway, he gets SSI. And when he got his job, if he made over $65 a month, they started to dock his SSI. $65 a month? (laughs) That is scandalous. Yeah. They make so much anyway because he gets $840 a month SSI to live on. And then he started to be a productive member of society and he started to contribute to society and he started to make his own way, which I realized his little meager amount was not going to make him. I mean, you can't live off of what the government gives you anyway. And he lives with us. That's, that's besides the issue. But there are people out there who get that and try to supplement their income mm-hmm. and they can't. I was flabbergasted mm-hmm. that they docked his SSI because he made, um, I think he made like $200 a month. That's outrageous. They docked it. it is absolutely asinine. Just yep. so, doesn't make any sense. So here you can make up to $100 a week, but you have to enroll in that Pacific program to do it. You can make $100 mm-hmm. a week. And then if you make over that, then it docks you. But he gets a lot more than we get. We only get like five something. Oh, really? It is so interesting. I mean, that is one of the most eye-opening things that we've come to in our friendship, but also as we engage with other people about the systems that are amazing and incredible, but more often dysfunctional and broken. And we discussed how you manage getting through the gap or like crossing the gap as you fall through these cracks, you know, like we talk constantly about how this is not a children's diagnosis. It doesn't end because they age out. And just for us, like Celie was diagnosed in 2019. Our whole entire experience has been within this, like it's been out of reach because we're just on wait lists or, you know, it's inaccessible. This is the time that all the premier amount of things is available to us, so to speak. It cuts off by so much in adulthood when really the expectation continues Mm -hmm. to raise and raise and raise and raise and the support is just gone. I mean, it's despicable. And that's like, Amy, you said where you live, that there's just this uh, incredible hope, hope network. And that what's it called, Amy? I don't want to mess that up. Hope Haven. And how lucky is it that you picked this corner of Iowa because it's a cool lake and yeah. you can manage life there. And then it turns out there's this gem. It's yeah. such a spotty thing and there's no one governing options no. to be there. And it sucks. I mean, it's just so hard. Well, and also a little bit off point, but something that I would like to just help, maybe it'll help future parents or any of you guys, but when your child gets to that age that they're getting SSI at 18 or when you become their guardian, Make sure well beforehand, Tabitha, you I'm sure already know all about this, but they cannot have a penny to their name. Yep. And if any of you, you know, when your children were born, very common for people to start to put money in a college account for them or something like that. And we had to, we felt like criminals. We had to like repurpose it, so to speak, because we did have a college account for him. And we had to do something with it. And we actually got audited by the IRS and kind of caught just innocent. We didn't realize because his college account was in his name. Well, it wasn't his money. It was our money, but it had his name on it. And so they thought we were committing fraud and had his college account there. It wasn't a big deal other than the fact that when you are, when you're a law-abiding citizen and the IRS comes knocking <laughs> at your door, I'm like, oh I my had, gosh. I already told so. Amy this before that I would have gladly taken it off her hands. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like you said, Amy, you didn't know. And all of those things, I mean, it's like, I mean, we're lucky we have an attorney at our table to ask, but most people don't know these things. Yeah. Well, and you usually like even outside of SSI, like for Arizona, when we got the kids state benefits because they qualified for disability insurance, we couldn't have more than $2,000 in Nixon's name. And we had started a college account for him when he was a little guy. Luckily, it didn't hit that mark yet. Because we had, there's a certain portion that you could put in or whatever, but I didn't know that he couldn't have money in his own name at five years old. And it really wasn't in his name. It was in a college 504 or whatever they're called. Exactly. Um, So it's not really in his name, but his name is listed on the account or whatever. And they made us give them information about that, but it's something to be aware of even 
prior to being an adult that you can lose your services, which people look into special needs trust to prevent that from happening. Cause if you have it that's, in trust, yeah, and that's we've, we are, we're all in a trust now, except yeah. for that stuff. It was, yeah. I mean, we, all of our stuff is in a trust. Yes. So yeah, it has to be anyway. like safe and organized. And then it's there's the documents to support the process. I mean, it is more than, and who would know that? I mean, I, th- I didn't know that. Think. No yeah. one would know that information as you're applying for the stuff or even SSI. Like, how would you know that if he made more than $65 a month, he would start losing his benefits? Like no one's going to tell you that. Yeah. We've oft, often talked about, you know, and hence the series about how our children are literally forgotten when they age out of school and how hard it is to find things mm-hmm. for them. But then when you're trying to build a life for them, for them not to be a strain on society, which the truth is that is what will happen with our children if yeah. we don't have these things in place and they put every barrier in front of that. our children to be right. successful. You know, it's right. mind-boggling. It's just a pa- it is just a paradox. Of yeah. Are you listening, sense. Uncle Joe? We need to make some changes. <laughs> systems, systemic problems, real yeah. systemic problems, because... Like, how does it make sense that our kids would need support when they're under 18 and then magically or 20 or 22 and then magically at they hit that age, they no longer need supports. That doesn't make any sense either. That's my biggest gripe. Yeah. And let's be honest with uh, like, it's because our government does the school system. And so they're responsible for our kids. If we put until, them in school yeah, until yeah. they're adults. So it's the fact that they don't have to, they have to help our kids when they're in school to keep Same with insurance. Right. They don't have to as adults. It sucks. Yeah. And so many families, I don't know any myself, but you know, they're out there of kids that get to be 18 and they don't have the family support. They don't have that home base or that anchor and they are out. I, I don't know. I don't, I can't they're, even think about it. I don't know what they do, yeah. you know? Well, I, there's this one young man, he's clearly has mental, it's not drugs, it's mental health. And he's always in the McDonald's drive-thru. And I always ask him, he always just wants a McFlurry. He doesn't want any food. He's not starving, but it's like, I, I, I always worry. I'm like, what would Kaya do? I mean, where would she go? Would she be wandering the streets? I, right. I mean, where do these children go that have these right. mental health disabilities? They're just well, left right. to kind of wander around the streets. Well, and there's a yeah. whole thing of it. They lose their services, but it's also extremely difficult to get access to therapy after 18. Doctors, you know, they don't have pediatricians and there's nobody who takes over on the other end. Like know. you would be like, okay, they don't have a pediatrician with, okay, who specialize? Nobody specializes. Nobody mm-hmm. takes that population. It's kind of like they're just lost in the abyss. And depending, yeah, some kids might be okay going to, my daughter would not be my daughter cannot communicate my daughter cannot tell you if there's something wrong you have to have uber amount of patience to get through a visit with her especially if like there's something going on you couldn't just I couldn't bring her to the local hospital and just be like oh hey we want to get an ultrasound like that's not going to happen you're talking like she's going to have to be sedated like there's just all these things that that you have to go through and um, when you think about it, you're a child for 18 years. Right. You're an adult for a lot longer than you're a child. So the fact that there's no nothing in place right. for these adults is, it, it's insanity to me. Like I cannot yeah. wrap my head around it. And I know um, it's been three years since she's turned 22 and I, sometimes I have to let it go, but it, it enrages me. It, it literally makes me, I don't understand it. I, there's well, so yeah. many people that need these yeah. services. Like what? And when you think about the burden burden on the system, uh, in quotations, people can't see me, but what people would call a burden on on the system is we never look at it as a progressive approach or on the front end. We always are like putting out fires on the back end. If you provide supports, if you provide services and places where people can be successful, then you aren't throwing money into jails and you know, mental health facilities or treatment programs, all kinds of that. You save money if you actually on the front end provide people with supports and opportunities for successful life. So it doesn't, doesn't and I think one of those, I think one of those, excuse me, Tabitha, I just interrupted you. I apologize. Oh no, that's okay. I was done with my rant. (laughs) But I did to, to, to build on that a little bit is that, you know, this is one shining glaring thing where we need more facilities for group homes for these people where they can 
you know, Alex would thrive in a group home, but there's just even, you know, there's just not anything. And now, I mean, I know that some of you and some of our friends have had to look for, you know, institutions or things for the, our, our kids or something. But as an adult, you know, there, there's a lot of them that would thrive in some sort of supervised setting that our government, I just feel like the government is missing something there by not having more places for these people to go. If, I don't know. I, I don't even, I don't know how to do it. I'm not a politician and I'm not a social worker and I'm not that, but there's just got to be places for, for our, our kids to go as young adults and have some sort of, you know, it's, it's not either... only more, more places, Amy, it's the condition of these places. places. Oh, and sure. Stimulation and all well, of that, no, I right? mean, a lot, some of them are good. Some of them are good and, and run well. A lot of them are not. A lot of them are kids are in neglected. They're in abusive situations. Like there's, I'm just saying the people that are running these places, they're paid very poorly. They're very overwhelmed. I'm sure they're very understaffed, especially now. It's like, they need to find a way to staff these places, like give them state benefits, like give people more money like these are our children some people do not have the capacity to take their child at home for Forever. whether it's their health whether it's the severity of their child whether it's financial I mean there's so many reasons I mean many of us can't like I can't picture ever putting her somewhere like I really couldn't but like there's situations that happen that are beyond your control that like may force you to do something that you in your mind are like no I would never do that and they deserve to be cared for and not, you know what I mean, taken advantage of and not, you know, right, yeah. it's just, it's so hard. In my uh, dreams, I would, if I won the lottery, Jim and I always said, if we won, you know, or maybe someday we will be able to help participate in this, but have a place where we, we would buy a home and uh, be able dream. to work with Hope Haven even and say, okay, we will buy a facility if you guys can add to because they have community living here it's just that the waiting list is you know until he's right. 80 or something but it's not an institution where they need a lot of skilled care whether it's therapies or nursing mm -hmm. or physicians but it's just a group living situation and I'm looking at the world through rose naive colored glasses I guess but it's like you know we as a society could also help each other we have fundraisers for um, St. Jude's Medical Hospital for kids. We have fundraisers for everything that we as humans, I think we are called to help each other, you know, and I think as a society, we could do a lot better, not just the government, but we as people you could do a lot okay. better by, um, by these people. Amy, I think you have kids. A, a dream, I mean, for, for us and how, like, I would, you know, my goal is, you know, we're, we're moving, we're trying to buy a new house and, um, it'll be the last house we live in. So we're trying to make it ideal for Kaya's living situation when I'm older and when she's older. And can you tell us about Alex's day-to-day -day and kind of how you've set up sort of an apartment for him essentially, right? Yes. And I want to back up with this too, because we are very, very fortunate that Alex growing up, he wasn't a destructive person. He wasn't an eloper. He was not a lot of things and he was a lot of things. So we had some safety things in place just by luck of the draw. So we have been able to have him in our home feeling very safe because he's not going to turn the stove on. He's not going to clog the toilet with to toilet paper. He's not going to elope. He is not going to see something outside and think he can go out and then go jump in the lake. He likes his computer. He likes everything set and dry. So we have that safety thing. By the grace of God, we have that safety thing in place. So we have been able to have him in our home. And when we remodeled our home that we're in, we, Jim and I, it's our forever home too. We're on one level. <laughs> and then Alex is downstairs in our basement. Now it's a walkout basement to the lake, but again, that is not a safety hazard for us. So he lives down there. There's a little bar and sink and refrigerator and microwave. And he is down there with his bedroom and he's, his computer, his art area, and um, there's other bedrooms and stuff. So he, that's pretty much his domain down there. We kind of let him live as he wants to live down there. So we know he's there and he knows we're upstairs, but if he doesn't have anything going on, there might be a day where I don't physically see him. I talk to right. him and talk up and down but I don't see him. He's doing his own thing and he really doesn't want us around. So we have him living in our home semi-independently downstairs. 
Does he do his own laundry, so, cook his own meals, or does he come up for a meal? One of our shortcomings as parents, perhaps, is that his diet is deplorable. So he only eats a certain things. And his, Welcome uh, to the party, he Amy. Need, he doesn't need, no. he does not need a stove to exist. He only needs a <laughs> microwave, and refrigerator, and a good pantry because of all his um, oh my packaged God, foods. <laughs> but anyway, Amazing. so he, he eats downstairs. He does not come up for a meal. And he, he, so yes, he cooks his own Easy Mac, if that's called cooking. But, um, yes, absolutely. So that's he, independence. Yes, that's what he likes. To eat. What he needs, what he needs, he can do. Other than the fact that we have to go through a drive-through most every day to get his food, and he, oh, he relies on change? us for that. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Good to know. <laughs> it is a mountain we have decided not to climb. I'm, I'm sure there's lots of judgment, but it just doesn't matter. <laughs> it yes, just doesn't matter. Yes, you're right. So. I have to ask you, to, this is like one of the most charming about your relationship and his view. You were fixing to go, I'm not going to share too much, but I'm going to lead you up. You were fixing to go to a trip with a friend. You okay. got so far, you had to like flip it and reverse it because you got a little germ. And then you had to come back to Iowa and you reported home. Can you please tell just, a? can you please share this? Yeah. How excited yeah. he was to see you. <laughs> yeah. Golly, I was supposed to be going on a trip with a friend and um, got really, really sick mid journey and spent a day and a half in the in a hotel room and then finally waved white flag and flew back home. And when I got home, Alex was like, basically, what are you doing here? And I said, sorry, buddy, I got sick. I couldn't go. Well, when will you go to England? I'm like, I don't know when I'll go back. I was too sick to go. I had to She's come home. still sick. As she's like going through why she has to be at her house. She said, I'm really sorry, buddy. I just couldn't do it. Well, when will you go back? And I said, I don't know. And he's like, well, why, why did you get sick? And, you know, at the first, this is what, I mean, I know better now because it's been all his life, but at the time that you're going through all these motions of telling him that you're ill and I couldn't do it, I'm really sorry, but I, he's like, but he is not he knew that when we were gone, he was going to have the house to himself. So I messed up his mojo. <sighs> and then I, then the light bulb goes off. He's like, he's not sad that I'm sick. He's sad that he's I'm not interrupted concerned him. about you. He's like, get oh, out of my like, family. Exactly. Well, it's yeah, the expectation. I, uh, I interrupted yeah. his groove, you know? And so I'm like, he's just, so he was so yeah. upset. And then he calls up a little while. I'm trying to be understanding mom. And I love like, it. That's thanks. Thanks, bud. When I think what it is so, yeah. with our kids is they have a certain expectation and they need that followed. And when there's a yeah. hitch in the giddy up, as Rachel likes to say, mm-hmm. they just yeah. don't do, and it doesn't matter what it is. They just don't do right. well with that. Yeah. But when no. Amy told me this story, Kimmy, she it was like this like care and concern was building, and then he was like, what I know. The hell, like yeah. he's like, get out. Can't you I go know. to Planet Bel- like, and get a bed over there? Like you're supposed to be out of here. What? Yeah. He's like, but I want you to go, and I, but I want you, and you know, it. I, I'm just like, I am so sorry, buddy. I will try to go again soon, you know, and we'll leave you alone. But every once in a while, you think that the empathy is emerging and it is, he is getting more empathetic and he is learning to be more understanding of things, but not all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, But it's amazing. I mean, I think we all hope that our children will be able to live as independently as Alex. I mean, he yes. really is. I, I mean, I say this in all honesty, Amy, he is a true inspiration as Alyssa is, you know, we get to see a little glimpse into the future and what can be you know, what our kids, Yeah. I often say that I cut, like you said, with the school stuff, like you're not sure, maybe you cut them short. I was like you, listen, my kid, I want her to have education, of course, but my main focus is let's let her cross the road safely and not get hit by a car. Like, I mean, the reality of our life, right? So I think, you know, we see things with Alex and it's just, it's just very inspiring. One of the things that I think is really, and Kim and I have talked about this, but that there's all these moms and dads, but these parents out there that are watching little Timmy at four and they are in the trenches. They are not seeing any sunshine through the clouds. And that's getting them to the place where at four, 
there is no way at 10 or at 16 or at 22 that they are ever going to be able to wipe their own bottom. They are ever going to be able to brush their own teeth. They are never going to be able to use a fork. And I don't blame them. I'm this, I am not passing judgment. But the truth is, is that they will not be where they are at 10 that they are at four, at 16 that they are at 10 or at four. They will change. Chances are they may not be fully functional, independent adults. That would be ideal. But they're not going to be where they are now. They are going to progress. I mean, Kaya is a huge example over the last few yeah. years. Look at what she has done. And even our friend Cooper, who in the last three years, there is definitely a light at the end of the tunnel for them. And so that's my word of encouragement is that your child will not be where he is today, six years from now, 10 years from now, might not be where you dreamed it would be when he was born, but they will gain skills and they will gain independence slowly, but surely. And it won't be the same. There will be lighter days. We connected a couple of years ago and we did an interview together at, on a support group that we're both part of. And you said this thing that I just thought was so inspirational. Even to me, I think about this, even having an adult. And do you remember what you said during that interview? And it's really what I, I live by because when Alex was diagnosed and things, I said, dreams don't die. They just change. That's right. And it doesn't happen overnight. No, because it is a grieving process that we all go through when our, plus the fact that we're like a deer in headlights when that all happens, we don't even know where to go, let alone be sad at the same time. I can say without a doubt that I would not change Alex. I would not wish his autism away. That said, that doesn't mean that you don't or that somebody else doesn't want because they are in um, a different circumstance and their pain and their grief and their circumstance is different than mine. I always said, you know, be careful what you wish for. um, And please don't take this as patronizing or anything like that. But I've seen, I've had friends with neurotypical children that have gone astray and caused their parents more grief, terror, sorrow, pain, than Alex has with us with his diagnosis. He is who he is. That's what we have. And it's all right by me. Yeah. Well, thank you, Amy, so much for coming on and taking the time to tell us about Alex. We really appreciate it. And we love your insight. So inspirational, I think, especially for younger moms coming up that are in the trenches that haven't, you know, quite seen that Yeah, Yeah. Do you want to tell people where they can find you, Amy? Oh, sure. We have a Facebook page for Alex. It's just simply called Alex the Artist. That's where I do my blogging and kind of share his life and his day-to-day goings-on. And then we have Instagram. He is at alex.the.artistasd. And then he has a website that shows his art gallery and his little store that he has there. And that's www.alextheartist.com. Thank you, Amy. We will put the links in the description so you can find Amy in all her platforms. And Alex. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Bye Happy Monday. Thanks everybody. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of the Table for Five No Reservations podcast. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, make sure to check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcasts at gmail.com. We can't wait to sit with you again. See you next time.